what's behind a resurgence of mumps in the United States? What caught my eye was that these were cases in a highly vaccinated population. As opposed to measles outbreaks over the past few years, which have been predominantly in populations where there has been insufficient vaccination to provide herd immunity, these mumps outbreaks were taking place in highly vaccinated groups. In this week's episode, new research shows that effectiveness of the mumps vaccine appears to wane over time. We'll speak with one of the study's authors about the findings and why it may be necessary to consider changes to vaccination schedules. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Thursday, June 14th, 2018, and I'm Amy Montemiro. And I'm Noah Levitt. In this week's episode, we're focusing on mumps, a highly contagious viral disease that is often spread through infected saliva. For most of the 20th century, mumps was widespread in the United States, with an estimated 186,000 cases reported each year. But in 1967, the U.S. launched a vaccination program, which led to a more than 99% decrease in mumps cases across the country. Eventually, the mumps vaccine was combined with those for measles and rubella to form the well-known measles, mumps, and rubella, or MMR, vaccine. After recommendations for children to receive a second vaccine dose were issued in 1989, sustained reductions in mumps cases led to optimism that vaccination could eventually eliminate the disease. But since 2006, there has been a resurgence of mumps in the United States, including several outbreaks on college campuses. What makes these outbreaks notable is that they've occurred among vaccinated young adults. And now new Harvard Chan research is shedding light on why we may be seeing more cases of mumps. The research from Yontan Grad, Assistant Professor of Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the Harvard Chan School, and Joseph Lunard, Postdoctoral Research Fellow at Harvard Chan School's Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics, finds that the effectiveness of the mumps vaccines appears to wane over time. The findings suggest that, in addition to the currently recommended two doses of mumps vaccine in childhood, a third dose at age 18 or booster shots may help sustain protection among adults. I spoke to Grad about the findings and how this research may affect vaccination policy moving forward. We also touched on a separate study led by Grad, which showed that a person's immune history with the flu can impact the effectiveness of that vaccine. But first, I began our conversation by asking Grad to explain a little bit more about the history of mumps in America. Prior to the introduction of the vaccine uh, in the late 1960s, early 1970s, mumps was basically a rite of passage of childhood. Uh, the vast majority of people were infected with the uh, age of infection, usually between five and nine. Once the vaccine was introduced, the, uh, uh, there was a huge drop in, uh, in infections, over 99%. Uh, and there was a little bit of a uh, bump in the late 1980s, early 1990s. After that bump, um, there was the introduction of a second dose of the mumps vaccine, which was packaged together with measles and rubella and what we call MMR. With the two doses of MMR, the first given between the age 12 to 15 months and the second between the ages of four and six years before entering elementary school, uh, the uh, incidence of mumps dropped to uh, just a couple hundred of uh, cases reported to the CDC each year from the U.S., then, starting in 2006, uh, we saw um, an outbreak in uh, colleges and universities. Uh, the incidents then dropped again, and we saw a resurgence um, over the past few years. The cases in, reported to the CDC in 2016 
uh, exceeded 6,000 cases and were around 5,600 cases in uh, 2017. Th that's really when we saw the resurgence that, that got uh, me interested in the question of what's going on. And for me, that was really driven by reports of outbreaks at Harvard, uh, where um, what caught my eye was that these were cases in uh, a highly vaccinated population. As opposed to measles outbreaks over the past few years, which have been predominantly in populations where uh, there has been insufficient vaccination to provide herd immunity, uh, these mumps outbreaks were taking place in highly vaccinated groups like at Harvard uh, College um, and University. Uh, this seemed to me a really interesting question. It, it suggested one of two possibilities. One, that there uh, is a new strain of mumps virus that's circulating uh, that escapes from the pressure provided by uh, uh, the vaccine, um, or that there is waning vaccine-induced immunity. Uh, and so that's the, those were the, the, the two questions that we, or the, the two hypotheses that we set out to, to address. And so uh, what this paper found is that indeed it appears that the, the immunity of the vaccine appears to wane over time. So can you kind of explain what your findings were in that regard and then maybe why this other hypothesis about um, new strains of mumps maybe didn't pan out? What we did was to look at um, uh, a bunch of studies from the literature and use a meta-regression model to estimate the, the rate of waning. And what we saw was that uh, it looked like there was a, a duration of immunity conferred by the vaccine. So we often think of vaccines as um, conferring lifelong sterilizing immunity, that once you get your vaccine, you're protected and you're protected forever. Uh, but that's not what we saw. We saw that it seems like there is protection, but that it actually decreases over time uh, with a rate such that uh, around 25% of people will lose their protection uh, after eight years and 50% after about 19 years. Uh, and that tempo uh, is uh, when we used uh, a model to look at um, uh, the epidemiology uh, is, is actually consistent with uh, what we were observing, both with the um, uh, outbreaks in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when there was just one dose of the vaccine, and then also consistent with what we see with the uh, outbreaks in the college-age populations uh, subsequently after the introduction of two doses. Uh, when we looked at the what would happen if there were, in fact, um, a, a new strain of mumps, we saw that the epidemiology is not really consistent with that for a couple of reasons. Uh, it, if it were to look uh, like uh, mumps used to look in the pre-vaccine era, which is what you'd imagine if there was a strain that had escaped from uh, the, the vaccine pressure, then you'd expect many more cases, uh, and you'd also expect to see them in younger populations, again, with a, with a circulation that's more consistent with what mumps used to be like. Do we have a sense of why that immunity tends to wane over time? I mean, is that just the fact of vaccines, and, and this is how the mumps vaccine tends to work? It is a great question, uh, and one that, that I'm, I'm really interested in. It seems as though some vaccines... Uh, like measles vaccine uh, confer a stronger and longer lasting immunity. Uh, why do some vaccines last a long time and some vaccines uh, a short time? Uh, I think this is a, a super interesting question that 
I don't know the answer to. I'm not sure that that anyone does, but is uh, one uh, a question that I think is is um, uh, very interesting from from the basic biology and immunology. You know, um, there are some vaccines where we're used to getting boosters, things like tetanus, where you're supposed to get a booster every 10 years, suggesting that there's a protection that wanes over time. Uh, and then there are others, again, like measles, where you get your first couple of doses as an infant or in early childhood, and then that seems to last uh, for, for a while. There are interesting factors there that, that we don't totally understand. Sometimes vaccines are given with adjuvants uh, in order to help boost the immune response and the duration. Uh, why those work, I think, is also a little bit of a mystery. So this gets into an, an area of, of active and, and uh, extremely fascinating uh, research. And so I believe it was the, the, that on average, the, the, the immunity tends to wane after about 27 years. Is that 27 years important at all? And does that maybe offer any clues to research going forward? It's important, at least in the sense that it it sets the tempo and helps explain the observations of why we're seeing uh, the, the outbreaks in the populations that we're seeing them currently. Uh, and uh, I think that that helps to direct, uh, direct us to, to think about uh, the, the, the next question, which is, um, how do we respond to these outbreaks? Does it warrant reconsideration of the vaccine schedule? Currently, the uh, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practice, or the ACIP, uh, recommends that a, a third dose of MMR, or measles, mumps, rubella, uh, be delivered in the context of uh, high-risk populations uh, in in outbreaks, uh, in or in outbreak settings, um, and uh, whether we should be thinking about doing a, a general uh, booster. Uh, prior to college, or other types of, of alterations to the schedule, I think is is up for for debate. Certainly, this is something that warrants further investigation. Um, we don't know, for instance, whether the immunity conferred by vaccination at uh, in in young adulthood uh, would have the same tempo of waning immunity as the uh, vaccine confers from uh, doses in early childhood. It could be that getting a dose of MMR as an 18-year-old lasts a much shorter time. It could be that it lasts a much longer time. Um, but there's some data to suggest that at least the antibody titers decrease rather quickly. We need to figure that out and see whether, uh, in fact, the protection is sufficient to carry you through the high-risk times uh, uh, in colleges and universities um, and uh, use those data to help guide recommendations for immunization. Would the next step be something like running a study where you give a population a booster shot before they go to college? I mean, so what would be the next steps from a research perspective? Yeah, so I think that there are uh, a couple of steps. One is uh, to look at the immune responses um, uh, in this population over time. Uh, and the other is to think about what, what kinds of trials could we put together to estimate the effectiveness of the vaccine in this population in, in protecting against mumps outbreaks? For people maybe who aren't familiar, they've just heard of mumps, but the fact of why students in college are so much more likely to see an outbreak of mumps, I mean, what is it about the disease? So mumps virus is uh, transmitted through uh, respiratory droplets. Uh, and we think that the close proximity of students in colleges helps to promote 
um, its spread. So often in uh, college and university outbreaks, we see it in uh, teams, so sports teams, um, or in dormitories, uh, suggesting that it really is, the, the transmission really is promoted by close contact. There have also been outbreaks in, in other populations. So in, the, in 2009, 2010, there's an outbreak in, um, in adolescent boys in, in yeshivas in, in, in Brooklyn, um, uh, where, uh, again, there's close contact uh, and um, uh, suggesting something about uh, um, the, the, the nature of transmission. And similarly, recently in, in Arkansas, there was an outbreak in uh, a population from the Marshall Islands. Uh, and there as well, it's a community that is very tightly knit uh, and, uh, again, suggests that close contact, uh, cohabitation, uh, and so on, le- promotes the transmission of mumps virus. And I think it's probably important to clarify, I like to do this whenever vaccines come up, but I mean, this research isn't showing that the mumps vaccine is unsafe in any way. It's still recommended get your mumps vaccine. It's just looking at the effectiveness over the long term. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, the mumps vaccine has been extraordinarily effective uh, in reducing mumps incidents uh, over time. Uh, it has, it's, it's uh, absolutely a success story. And there's, this is not an indication at all about it being uh, a, a dangerous vaccine, far from it. Uh, it's incredibly safe. These are studies that, that explain why we've been seeing a little bit of a resurgence of mumps. Another study you recently did with the University of Chicago looked at the flu vaccine. Um, so it, it's interesting to me that, I mean, is this kind of a new, uh, is this kind of an emerging area of research, I guess, looking more critically at the way vaccines are administered and maybe their effectiveness? Is that something that maybe, is there a reason why we're seeing more research in this area? I think there has been a lot of research in this area, even going back decades to the time when these vaccines were first being developed. Uh, we now have more tools uh, with which to study them and with which to understand uh, wh- why they work and when they don't work that um, will facilitate, I think, putting together the next generation of vaccines and vaccine administration strategies uh, that will, uh, I hope, promote uh, even greater effectiveness than, than what we've seen. I think it's it's through these kinds of studies that we really will be able to to advance the field. What would like looking down the line, based on kind of the research you and, and and other people are doing, like what would a kind of future kind of vaccine strategy look like that's maybe informed by this kind of research? How, how might what we're used to now change in the future? One uh, possibility, as we've talked about, is uh, the notion of a booster shot. Uh, um, another possibility is uh, to explore, are there alternatives to, to the timing for the two doses of MMR that we're using currently? Uh, would you know, 12 to 15 months plus uh, um, another shot, maybe instead of between ages four to six, then, per, uh, then moving it perhaps to around age 11, how would that, what impact would that have? So there are a variety of different possibilities that we can imagine uh, for for altering the vaccine schedule. Another possibility, uh, of course, is coming up with a new vaccine. Um, Are there ways to develop uh, vaccines that are, for for mumps, that are longer lasting in in the immunity that they confer? Uh, That um, is, I think, another interesting possibility. Uh, So a next generation mumps vaccine. Interestingly, one of the other uh, vaccines tied together with mumps uh, in its package, uh, rubella, 
um, has uh, was was replaced um, uh, soon after the first MMR was introduced. So the reason why it's called MMR2 is actually because uh, the rubella vaccine uh, that was initially packaged together was replaced by a second one. Uh, um, that second one, which was developed by uh, Stanley Plotkin, showed uh, that it was more immunogenic, meaning it could elicit more of an immune response, and that that immune response was longer lasting uh, than the original rubella vaccine uh, that was packaged together as MMR. Um, so it, that, I think, is there's a historical precedent for updating these vaccines with ones that are uh, more able to elicit an immune response and an immune response that lasts uh, a longer time. I mean, it, it seems like what this kind of, what you're kind of saying is that the the understanding that that vaccines are kind of a, a, a dynamic thing. I think people, you know, they'll see in the news, oh, this year the flu vaccine wasn't very effective. But I think people need to understand that, like you said, that there will always kind of be evolution in vaccines and, and their effectiveness. A absolutely. And people on, on the topic of flu, people are extremely interested in coming up with uh, next generation flu vaccines. One of the big targets is what we call a universal flu vaccine rather than having to update the flu vaccine every year, uh, if we had a vaccine that could elicit protective uh, antibodies or, or immunity against all flu strains, uh, that would, of course, be, um, be much better. Um, and in the uh, recent budget uh, passed by Congress, um, there's money allocated towards uh, the research and development of a universal flu vaccine. So this is now uh, a topic that's that I think is is gaining not only uh, uh, um, research uh, interest but now funding support as well. In addition to his work on mumps and flu, Yonatad Grad also studies gonorrhea and the growing threat of drug resistance. I asked him to briefly explain why this is an important area of focus for public health in the years ahead. Gonorrhea is uh, a, a major uh, public health problem. There are over 400,000 cases reported each year uh, in the U.S. with a true incidence that is estimated to be at least double that, uh, in part because there's asymptomatic infection. Uh, and gonorrhea has become progressively more antibiotic resistant. Uh, recently, there was a report of um, an outbreak in England of gonorrhea that has high level resistance to azithromycin, which is one of the two drugs uh, that is part of the dual treatment uh, for gonorrhea. And it's really on last line therapy. So as we see resistance, we've got a pretty big problem. Uh, there was a, um, uh, a report last year from a vaccine trial for uh, Neisseria meningitis type B, or uh, this is the meningococcus, which can cause meningococcal meningitis. Uh, and uh, it showed um, uh, that it had, it appeared to have some protective effect uh, against gonorrhea infection. Uh, and so now the uh, vaccine manufacturers for the meninge B vaccine are interested in exploring the possibility of doing a vaccine trial to see if it does in fact uh, protect against gonorrhea as well, uh, or to, to what extent does it protect? So I think that is going to be one, one um, really interesting area. Uh, a last point on that is that the, the, the notion there is that uh, a vaccine against gonorrhea infection may also be helpful uh, for um, uh, 
uh, for antibiotic resistance in gonorrhea. More broadly, people are really interested in uh, the impact of vaccines on issues of antibiotic resistance. You can imagine that uh, um, for influenza, for example, um, when you're vaccinated and uh, you don't get flu, that protects you not only against influenza, but also against the possibility of being inappropriately prescribed antibiotics when you get sick. Uh, and so these vaccines have a dual effect. They both protect you against the viruses and against inappropriate antibiotic prescribing that could promote antibiotic resistance generally. So there's also now a lot of interest in the use of vaccines uh, as, uh, as, as approaches to help prevent the problem of antibiotic resistance. And I think that's an area uh, of, of increasing research and, and interest as well. That's really interesting. So like basically using vaccines as you said, kind of prevent or maybe overall antibiotic use, but also the incorrect use of antibiotics. Correct. People are also interested in using vaccines to target antibiotic resistant bacteria. Uh, so there are a few different strategies that uh, are starting to link two areas that I'm interested in, which both vaccines and, and also uh, antibiotic resistance. Thank you to Jonathan Grav for taking the time to chat with us about his research into mumps, the flu, and gonorrhea. That's all for this week's episode. Coming up next week, banning trans fats. On June 18th, all American food manufacturers will have to eliminate trans fats from their products. We'll examine how these harmful fats became so ubiquitous in our food and the decades-long battle to remove them from our food supply. In the meantime, a reminder that you can always find our older episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.